Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where we'll be spending all of our time in this part of our worship this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1. So you do well to have a Bible open to that place. Good to see we have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. Always happy to be with God's people and to worship God and to join together in blending our voices in song and opening God's word together. I want to do that for just a few minutes here. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5. The text says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Well, it is that time of year. I don't know if you've noticed, but we now have two weeks left in 2018. And it is the time of year where we begin to look back on the year past and look forward to the year ahead. Now it's just time and the way we divide time, but sometimes the way we divide time gives us a reason to reevaluate how we're doing, to reevaluate our lives and particularly our spiritual lives. For most of us, it means that the year behind has some ups and downs, disappointments and successes. And for most of us, when we look back to, if you ever do this, to the things you had hoped to accomplish this year, earlier this year, and now you look back on those goals, you see some that you did well in and others you didn't do so well. And there is a time of evaluation at this time of year. But what's interesting to me is there are also in the Bible lists of things that are sort of target areas for growth that say and imply and say directly that we should be working on our spiritual lives. So it seemed fitting to me at this time of year to reemphasize some of the things that the Bible says we should be working on. These are areas in which we need to grow. But that's also dovetailed with something else in my life that I just keep hearing in a lot of different settings. There has been some research done about what is called mindsets, and particularly two kinds of mindsets that have been discovered in scientific research, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The idea of the fixed mindset is that we are born naturally gifted at certain things, and that we're good at those things, and then there are some things that no matter what we do, we're just not good at it, and there's nothing we can do about it. That is a fixed mindset. You are what you are. And the contrast to the fixed mindset is called the growth mindset. For growth mindset people, they believe that you can be a master of anything as long as you try hard enough. You can grow into what you can develop into talent and become good at. So... You can't just say, I am this way. You say, well, this is exposing a need I have to grow. And you can see that that could have a lot of implications, particularly in education. Because if students believe that they're just not good at math, then they're not going to try hard. They're not going to grow. They're not going to learn. They're just going to say, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. And sometimes we have that perspective about certain things. I just can't do it. Yesterday, We went to the uh, roller rink, and for the first time, my kids skated. And the first loop around the roller rink, Luke came up to me and said, I just can't do it. And I said, fixed mindset. (laughs) And he actually knew what I mean because we talk about that a lot. In fact, Josie told me, I think this was last week, that her little class of second graders, they're taking them and telling them, don't have a fixed mindset, have a growth mindset. Because, of course, it affects the way children view their education and their skills. If we begin to think we're just not good at something, then we begin to not work very hard to develop it. But, of course, I don't want to talk about education. I'm not really talking about roller skating. 
I want to talk about how we as Christians develop. And so I want to talk about the growth mindset for a few minutes this morning. And particularly what I mean when I use that term is just the idea that I can always learn more and I can always do better and I can always improve. I think it seems to me that, that when we as Christians look at what it means to be a Christian and we see others who are ex- excellent at certain things, like, for example, we see someone who's good at praying and we say, well, that's just his gift. I'm just not very good at that. Or we see someone who's very self-controlled and disciplined. We say, well, that's just him. That's not me. Then we begin to say, well, I can't develop that. I can't grow into that. I'm just not that way. And we have a fixed mindset about our spiritual lives. But the growth mindset says that there is always more I can learn and better I can do. I can always improve my spiritual life. And so as we look forward to the year ahead, I want to suggest some areas from here in 2 Peter that can be places where we can learn to grow into more complete Christians. You ready to do that? Let's do it. Look in verse 3 with me. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Peter has just been referring to Jesus back in verse 2, and now he says Jesus' power is giving us everything that we need for life and godliness. That means that we have the ability to live the way that he wants, the ability, the information, the power. We can do that. But he says specifically, Jesus has called us to know him. Look again at verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His glory and his excellence or virtue, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But basically, this is saying, by the way Jesus has lived and the greatness Jesus has shown, he calls us to have his same greatness and moral goodness. He calls us to his glory and his virtue. One scholar suggested when he uses this phrase, Peter may be thinking about that time when the great catch of fish came at Jesus' insistence, and Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He sees Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, he sees his own flaws and weaknesses. We certainly know that when he talks about glory, he's thinking about the transfiguration because he's going to bring that up later in the chapter. The transfiguration where Jesus shone with great glory and he says he has called us to his glory and virtue. Verse 4 now. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He says something even more powerful here. He says that we can become partakers of the divine nature, that we can become like God and share in God's nature. God is calling us to be like him. We've escaped the sin that's in the world. We've been washed in his blood. And now, now we grow. Now we have a pattern of growth where we move up and begin to share in the attributes of of God. So everything that we're going to study this morning is about how you and I can become more like God. Everything we're going to study this morning will make us more like him and draw us closer to him. That's what we want to grow in. But I want you to look down in verse 8 with me. In verse 8, after Peter's little list, he says, "For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that is a list that has a lot to commend it. Did you see what he says about it? He says, if you practice these things, you will never fall. He says in verse 8, if they are yours, you will never be ineffective or unfruitful. He says in verse 9, if you don't have them, you are so nearsighted that you're blind and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. He says, if you do have them, then an abundant entrance will be provided into the kingdom. So, I don't know of a better way to say we need it than what Peter just said. Everything about these attributes matters to us as Christians. This is what we want to do and to be. All right, so let's begin then in verse 5. In verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So let's talk first about faith. And what we're going to say about faith is just this idea that I can get closer to Jesus. That is, I can grow in my faith, add to your faith. Now, Faith is not a static thing. Faith is the initial response we have to Jesus, but faith doesn't just stay where it is. There are a lot of places in the Bible that indicate faith can be small or big or can grow or shrink. For example, Jesus says repeatedly to the disciples, O oh, you of little faith, when they demonstrate little faith, sometimes great is your faith. Sometimes there is the man who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And sometimes the apostles just approach Jesus and say, increase our faith. They're asking for help because they know faith can grow. So faith is not just for the people that have amazing knowledge or real spiritual insight or they're made of different stuff than me. See, I can grow in faith. And it's important that we know that, that we have the mindset that says, I can get closer to Jesus than I am right now. I can deepen my faith. I can strengthen my faith. I can educate my faith. Now, my struggle about this, Jacob, my struggle about faith is about compartmentalization, which I did not realize until I wrote this sermon is a really long word. It has 20 letters in it. Compartmentalization. That is, faith is something that I seem to restrict to certain times and places. So for me, that's obviously church time. That's obviously for me, I have a job in which I basically spend time thinking about and studying the Bible and dealing with Christian people. Okay? But, but it's hard for me to bring God outside of those compartments. So maybe in the coming year, a way I get closer to Jesus is by inviting him into the other compartments. What else I'm doing and how can I include Jesus in that? Praying over those things, asking what he thinks about those things, using God's names and God's words in other places where he's not currently allowed. Or maybe it's that I need to grow in faith, getting closer to Jesus by unpacking a part of the Bible and what God says about something. Maybe it's time for me to learn about prayer and what God says about prayer or about sickness or about fasting or about anxiety or about something that's really relevant to me that I really want to know, not what do people say about this. I don't just want to hear a sermon. I want to know what does God say? What's in here? And to dig in so that when I come out of that, my faith is stronger and deeper because I have connected with God. Or maybe... I can step out in faith, praying for something big, making an effort that I've never made before, or taking a risk like talking to somebody I've never talked to before about Jesus, or having a hard conversation I need to have that's about us doing what God says. And so it's a step of faith that I need to take. Sometimes in the Gospels, 
a lack of faith is exposed because people want to take a step, but they don't have enough faith to do it. I'm thinking of Peter going out on the water and not having quite enough faith to get all the way to Jesus. Or I'm thinking of the uh, disciples who are unable to cast out a demon because he says, it's not, your faith is not strong enough. Sometimes getting closer to Jesus is something we do because we have to. We really need Jesus in order to accomplish what we hope to accomplish. But remember, it's not a fixed thing. I can get closer to Jesus. All right, in verse 5, it says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And I'm going to say with virtue, the idea here is I can act more like Jesus. I can act more like Jesus. The word virtue means things that are excellent. It's that word that's used back in verse 3 where it talked about God's virtue or Jesus' virtue. One scholar says that this word, it's a very particular word in the Greek, this word is used of the proper fulfillment of anything. So the excellence of a knife is to cut, and the excellence of a horse is to run. But what is the excellence of a man, a, a human? Peter is saying the excellence of a human, the goal of a human, the proper function of a human is to work out the salvation God has given to him, to become everything God created you to be. And that is best illustrated by the life of Jesus, the virtue of Jesus. That's why Paul tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, that's that word virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So when we hear that word virtue, when we hear that word excellence, that's something that God says we should be pursuing, we should be growing in. Now, that word virtue, very often we think of morality, and I think morality is included in it, but that's more about self-control that we're going to talk about in a moment. See, this is really about finding new standards of character, that there is something higher, there is something excellent that we should aspire to. And so I want to remind you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is about having an attitude toward other people that's like God. God's the standard. And as I grow, I become more like God. I grow in my virtue or my excellence. So in this example... We love our enemies because that's what God does. God doesn't say, oh, I'm only going to give sunshine to my friends and the people that love me. God is good to all people, so I should be good to all people. That is a way I grow to be more like God. Or in 2 Timothy 2.13, I love this statement. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Paul says he cannot deny himself. He is who he is. So when you think about the character of Jesus, the the way Jesus lives, the character of God, and the way God expresses himself. He is loving and joyful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. He is everything we want to be. In fact, the fruits of the Spirit are all God's character. So, the question then is, what are we going to do with that? It's easy to look at that and say, you know what, that's just not me. If you ever look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, you'll say, ah, it's not really me. And that's good, but, but is that all we say? Well, it's just not me. Oh, well, done with that. Or do we say, that's just not me, and I want it to be me. I want to grow into that. That's the difference between the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. I can be more like Jesus. I can grow in that. So my recommendation is to just pick an aspect of God 
and try to emulate that aspect. For me, I've decided that I'm going to work on joy. That's what I want. I want to be more joyful. I want to remember the blessings that I've been given. I want to stop complaining. I want to reach the virtue of God, the excellence of God. Maybe just in one small area. But I want to work on that in the days and years to come. Pick one of those and understand you can act more like Jesus. In verse 5, it says, make every effort to supplement your virtue with knowledge. So knowledge is the idea that I can know Jesus better. He's already used the word knowledge back in verse 3. He is going to use it again in verse 8. And I want to suggest to you that Peter does not simply mean learning information about God. I do not believe the idea here is just know more. I believe the idea is about knowing God. And when we know God, it produces certain fruit. That's why he says in verse 8, you won't be unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. So your, your knowledge takes you somewhere, directs you toward a new way of life. So, in the coming year, are you going to improve your Bible study? I hope you are. I hope you'll work to that. But will you know God better? When you study the Bible, don't let it be studying the Bible just so you can pass the test on the content of the Bible as if there is such a test. Study the Bible to know God behind the Bible. So, our plan for this next year as a congregation is to continue the pattern of readings and devotional daily readings we've been doing for the last two years. And we're going to be studying in the book of Acts. We're going to be studying specifically about the kingdom and the way the kingdom in the book of Acts is unstoppable. So we're going to have those daily readings. Every weekday you're going to get up, unless you get up before 3 a.m. It's going to be in your email inbox, unless you're Richard Barnes and it never seems to go to yours. So it's going to be there and you're going to read it. Is that going to be the limit? I read my devotional. Or are you going to know God better? So these are the kinds of things I'm talking about. What is God like? What is his passion? What is God not like? What kinds of things has God done? What is your story with God? What does God think about your life? Those are the kinds of things that are about a knowledge of God. I can know Jesus better. Do you remember Paul says this? Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is Paul's highest priority. I want to know him better. He is not saying, I just want to learn some more information. He is talking about a relationship. You know, when we date... When we date, we learn things about the other person. But it's not so that we can rattle off facts about them. I remember her birthday. I know where she grew up. I know she likes this kind of cake. No, the relationship is the prize, right? Not the knowledge. The knowledge only helps when it gives you the relationship. And the same is true with God. So I can know Jesus better. In verse 6 now, it says, And knowledge with self-control. Self-control is the idea that I can discipline myself more, that I control my passions instead of being controlled by them. I want to put a couple of passages on the board here for you. 
This is 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And he also says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, all things are lawful to me, are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Or yours might say something like mastered by anything. And those two passages, by the way, are, are my two favorites to talk about self-control because they give Paul's perspective in a first-person sense. He says, I discipline my body. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the mic. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. I will not be dominated by anything. Self-control is a personal responsibility. I have to be in control of me. So the question is, where is my life out of control? Where is there something or someone else in charge? I think you know the answer to that question. I can't answer it for you. I can answer it for me. I don't want to be mastered by anything. That's what Paul says. I don't want to be mastered by food. I don't want to be mastered by caffeine. I don't want to be mastered by drugs. I don't want to be mastered by alcohol. I don't want to be mastered by cigarettes. I don't want to be mastered by social media. I don't want to be mastered by my phone. I don't want to be mastered by pornography. We just tend to get into dynamics where something controls us. And we tend to yield that control usually as a sacrifice for some kind of pleasure. And while some of those things may be innocent in themselves, the issue is about control. Am I in control in my sexual desires? Am I in control in my anger? Am I in control in how I use my mouth? Am I in control in my money management? And I want to stress, I may be out of control in the moment, but that's not the way it has to be. Self-control is not just for everybody else. That's not just for the super spiritual people. I can discipline myself more. So, we can always add to our self-control. I'll just tell you about mine. I am currently disciplining myself about spending. I will soon be about caffeine. I know soon is a dangerous word. I will soon be about caffeine, but I know I need to grow here. And please understand, that may sound silly to you to say, oh, well, the preacher's working on spending and caffeine. He doesn't have any of those bigger problems. And the truth is, I've been working on self-control for years. Please don't think this is not something that any of us can do and grow in. We all have our issues here. So in the days to come, how can you discipline yourself? He then says, adding to your self-control steadfastness. Yours might say patience or perseverance. This is a word that is about endurance. It is not just patience in the sense that we normally use the word patience. That is, has to do with people a lot of times. But this is about endurance through difficulty. This is Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, Jesus shows endurance, and now we run with endurance. That is... A challenge in our time. Our society is just not very committed. If you commit to something and then it doesn't go well, you just kind of throw it away and do something else. I'll tell you for me personally, where this strikes me is that I need to stop making so many commitments 
that are then hard for me to keep. Because it is such a temptation when there is way too much to just get rid of something. And so I end up not valuing very much my willingness to say I'm committing to this. I love this example. I, I read an author who at one time used the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is building the wall and they're trying to distract him and pull him off the wall. And he says to them, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. And he said, you know what that means? That means there are some things that are so essential that you are working on so hard that you can't commit to other things. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. He talked about sometimes when we're raising children or sometimes we're taking care of an elderly parent. And, and you know, we have other things. We'd love to do those things. We'd love to spend our money on them. We'd love to spend our time on them. But, but I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And I say that in the context of steadfastness because sometimes the issue is not that we don't want to commit. The issue is that we have overcommitted and we need to learn to be more careful about what we're committing to. I say I am in that boat. But mostly, we need practice and growth and just not quitting. Whether that's a job or a friendship or a tough commitment or a church where people often just quit when things get challenging or when they have a bad experience somewhere. Whatever it is, we need practice. We need growth and steadfastness. I can show more endurance. In verse 6, it then says, we supplement our steadfastness with godliness. Godliness is the idea that I can be more sincere and reverent. He used that word before back in verse 3. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But here, this is about devotion or piety, as we might sometimes say. It's about our sincerity and our reverence toward God. It is the word that's often used of just religion generally. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is a great New Year's resolution verse, by the way, because a lot of our New Year's resolutions are about the body and about how we're going to exercise more and we're going to lose weight and we're going to do stuff for our heart and we're going to eat different and all of that. Remember this, bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. Godliness is good for you now and it's good for you later. That's what he's saying. And so the question then becomes, what am I going to do in days to come? Not just for my heart or my blood pressure or my weight, what am I going to do to exercise my spirit and develop the kind of sincerity and reverence I need? Particularly, I want to call your attention to one area where I think this is especially shown. What do I do for God? What do I do for other people when no one else is around and no one else knows? It's a great test of sincerity because when no one else knows or is around, we tend to revert to who we really are. And if that person really is committed to following Jesus, really is caring for other people, you'll do that whether anybody knows or not. So I challenge you to work on what happens when no one's around. Work on godliness. Be more sincere and reverent. He then says in verse 7, supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. And this is the idea that I can love my brothers more that there is a peculiar kind of relationship between brothers, what we might call a family love. 
Paul refers to that in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That especially is important. Those are our closest bonds, he says. We do good to everybody, but we especially look to do good to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Christians are intended to have a unique relationship. We have a bond with each other. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? We're not always super close with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we feel affection for one another? Do you have brothers and sisters? I hate to say this, but I don't know any other way to say it. Do you have brothers or sisters that you can't stand? People that annoy and frustrate you? I'm talking about in the church. Doesn't have to be this church. But I guess we can't really rule that out, can we? People who annoy and frustrate you? I am suggesting that you can change that. I don't mean that you can change them. I don't mean that. That's not the goal here. This is not making New Year's resolutions for them. I mean that you can grow in brotherly affection. Now, I would recommend showing kindness and appreciation, particularly to others who you find you don't have the best relationship with or response to. That's an area to grow. To give sincere compliments, sincere encouragement. Maybe when someone else asks you about them, Hold back on the harsh words you might really want to say. Grow. Grow in your brotherly affection. I can seek out my brothers to show kindness and look for the good and emphasize commonalities instead of differences. But what I cannot do is I cannot just say, you know what, that's hard for me. That's not who I am. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable when God expects us to grow in brotherly affection. I can grow. I can love my brothers more. And then in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, supplement your brotherly affection with love. Love is the idea that I can act more to help others. The Bible consistently paints love as an action, and that's challenging for us because we very regularly confuse love with goodwill. So I think I don't really hate most people, so I don't have a problem with love, I feel goodwill toward others. But look at what God says about that. This is 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That last verse gets me every time. Love is not just something you talk about. It's not just a feeling. It's not just you say, you know what, I really hope the best. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And he gives a specific example of an action. You have this world's goods, you see your brother in need, and you either help him or you don't. And when you don't, he says, you close up your heart. You don't truly love. So how do I grow in that? I can act more to help others. I can set a goal of doing, that I'm going to do something for someone, maybe a person or two a week. I'm going to show love by doing something for them. I'd recommend that not be family, since hopefully you're already doing that for family. I am suggesting this as a a way of growing. Particularly, I'll just say this is where I live on this. 
my struggle is that I don't have ill intentions. I want to do good and I want to help, but I just don't always follow through and I don't always know how. So for me, it's an area where I need to grow, where my good intentions meet actual actions to show love and not just talk about it. So follow through with people and encourage them and pray for them and talk with them and serve them and give to them. Show love in days to come. Now, you look at that list. What I want to impress on you is that if we lack any of those character traits, we are severely deficient. We might even say critically deficient. So if someone has all of these good character traits, but they don't have faith, we would say, oh, they're just not a very spiritually minded person. And, and if someone has all these things, but no virtue or no self-control, we would say, well, they talk a big game, but they sure don't live it. They are immoral people. And if they don't have knowledge, and they would say, well, they got a good heart, but they don't know much. Kind of like Paul says about the, the Jews in Romans chapter 10, they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. If they don't have any steadfastness, they're going to quit whenever anything gets hard. They're going to be like that uh, stony ground where the, the seed pops up quickly and then it wilts when things get difficult. If they're not godly, we would say, oh, they're a hypocrite. They don't really mean what they're doing. They sure look good, but I know they're not really sincere in what they're doing. If we don't have brotherly affection, we would say, man, it's better to not be a Christian. They treat non-Christians better than their brothers. And if we don't have love, Paul says we're just a, a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. What I'm getting at is these are the attributes of a well-rounded Christian. And it's not something that we just naturally have or don't. We can all grow. We can all do better. We can all learn more. So my question to you is what are you going to do in the days and weeks and months and years to come? to add to your faith. Might be someone here this morning who is ready to begin that journey and for the first time give their life over to Jesus and to put their faith in him. And if you're ready to do that this morning, you need to know that Jesus died for your sins to take those away so that you could have hope of eternal life with him. And that what he calls on you to do is to turn away from your sins, to put your faith in him as the Savior, the Son of God, and to be baptized into Christ and have those sins washed away. We'd love to help you do that this morning. If there is any need that we can help you with, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.